like he said, my name is Scott Irwin. I have, uh, I was the college minister for about 12 years before I switched to a new role last May. So I have, this, this is a familiar place for me and I'm excited to get back and talk about this subject. Um, I'm going to make sure you guys can see this before. Yeah. Um, so I believe what we're going to talk about this summer um, has the potential to be similar to um, like survivor su- survival skills. I don't know if you guys watched um, the show alone or have, have watched that before, but it's the idea is these people get sent off to this remote place that's really, really difficult to live, and they get to pick a f- maybe a few things that they get to take with them, but ultimately they show up and they've got to just survive. And the, whoever lasts the longest wins the money, right? And, and when they show up, they, they know they, they got to find shelter. They know they got to figure out how to um, start working on food. They need to find water. They need to, if it's cold, they need to find a heat source. They need to figure out how to have heat, right? So, so, so they, they know these skills in order to survive. And, th- and those skills have basically bring life for them. And I really, I really, really believe, without trying to be too dramatic or, or exaggerate, I believe learning how to handle this thing is like that. It's like learning how to, how to um, find life. It's learning how to find the source of, of life because the Bible is life-giving. Um, and so what we're going to talk about this summer is really it does have the potential, if you, if you desire it, to to gain some skills, gain some knowledge and skills that, that, that serve a purpose, which is to help you find life in the Lord. The Bible describes itself as, as living and active. There's no other book like it. There's no other book that's, that was written um, approximately between 3,500 and 2,000 years ago, so a span of 1,500 years, 40-ish authors or, or, or communities, um, over three different continents, and all telling a unified story and purpose um, with, with people and authors and communities that, that didn't know the other, right? And so God brings this thing together, and it's like no other. It's living and active. It, it, has, it has the ability to bring life, I, and I truly believe that, and I have experienced that. So, so what, what we're going to do this summer is, is giving you some basic tools and some basic knowledge and information um, that you can use to build some habits to find life. But the goal is not just to gain information. The goal is not um, an intellectual pursuit. The goal is not to become a disciplined person. The goal is not to have some kind of great experience. Um, but the goal is truly to know and love the Lord. We come to this book. To, so one of the things that... Um, that I'm going to encourage you to do is come to this class, if you, if you can come to it, as a worshiper, not, not as a student, but as a worshiper. Um, so you're, you're on summer break, hopefully. Some of you are probably taking summer classes. Sorry about that. Um, but tonight, when you come here, take off the student hat, although there's going to be a lot of things, a lot of information, a, a lot of different different things for you to think through and wrestle with, philosophies and ideas, principles, but primarily what I want you to come as 
is a worshiper. Because the goal of this study is not to gain more knowledge, but the goal is to know our Creator, to have an intimate relationship with, with God. And I got to see uh, firsthand today what that looks like in someone who is late, late in her life. So uh, I don't know if you, if, if, for those of you who've been to Sunnybrook, um, maybe more than a few, few times, um, if you're walking down the hallway, you park on the west side and you walk down the hallway, there's an older lady named Genevieve Hurst who sits in a chair by the offices and she greets people and she's short, um, and especially when she's sitting in a chair. So you might have walked right past her and not seen her. But this, this woman is a probably one of the closest that I know of um, that is a saint truly in many, many ways. She is a woman of prayer. She is, she is one of a kind. She's got an amazing story. Um, but this past week, she fell and broke her arm, and she was in the hospital. And so me and another staff member got to go visit her today. And I asked her a question. I said, what? okay, I'm curious, what's your favorite scripture? And she said instantly, oh, I can, I can tell you what it is, and I'll recite it for you. It's Philippians 4, 4 through 8. And she, went, she just closed her eyes, and she recited those verses. And then she went on to talk about how those verses have brought life to her in, in so many different ways. And I didn't even, I just asked her a simple question. She went, oh, she was gushing um, about those verses and the impact those verses have had on her life. And so when I say that, like, what we're, what we're doing this summer has the potential to, um, to bring life, that's, that's what I mean. I really want you to, um, it, here, here's what I, I assume, is I assume that you have some interest in either connecting to this ministry or or learning, you know, you're, you're like, I don't care what you guys are doing, I'm there, right? That's great. Um, I would assume that some of you are at different stages in, in terms of reading this. Some of you have maybe just started reading this this past year. Some of you have been reading this for years. Some of you grew up in a home of somebody who's taught you how to study this thing. And some of you maybe grew up in a home where this was just kind of like sat on a, on a table and was never really cracked or opened. Um, but... Wherever you, wherever you find yourself, um, this, this, this summer is really going to be a great place to take the next steps in, in how to handle this thing. But first, we're going to start with a quiz. How many of you have ever had a, um, a class, the first day of class, the first thing the t- teacher did is give you a quiz? Anybody ever had that? <gasps> Lots of you have. Well, good. You're experienced. All right, so if you have that, go ahead and pass those back around. Um, I printed a bunch, so you should, there should be plenty. So here's what you're doing. It's, it's kind of self-explanatory, but here's what you're doing. All right, listen up. So he, what you're doing is you're, you're looking at those ten, those ten commands, right? You don't have time to look those up. Okay, you're going to have to trust me. You can look them up later. But I just basically just quoted what those commands are. Those are ten New Testament commands. And your job is to put a C... If you think it's a cultural command, meaning for them only and not for us. A U, if you think it's universal, meaning it's for all people at all times. Or an F, if you think it's a figurative thing. Not to be taken literal. Okay? So you have just a couple minutes. Go down through. Put C, U, or F near next to those. And go. Okay. All right. So here's what we'll do. Um, I'm just going to go real quick through them. And and ask what you put okay so first one how many put a c how many put a u 
How many put an F? Okay. Um, that one's that one is a little easier. Uh, second one. How many put a C? How many put a U? Okay. How many put an F? Okay. A little a little more diversity there. Third one. Uh, how many put a C? U? F? Okay. Um, fourth one. C? Okay. U? Okay. F? Okay. That one had the most diversity. That was almost equal to all three. wonder who's right. Uh, five. Uh, C? U? F? Okay, six, C, U, F, okay, seven, seven, C, U, F, okay, um, eight, C, U, F, okay, a little diversity there, and then nine, C, U, F, okay, and then 10, C, U, F, okay, little, all right, so um, here, here's the ones I want to point out, we, we're not going to, we're not going to talk through all of them, here's the one, I, six and seven, six and seven are interesting, because look, look at the reference, it's the same verse, so some of you, I know, some of you put C on one and U on the other, so what you're, what you're doing is saying in the same verse, part of that is cultural and part of that is universal. So how did you do that? No, don't answer that question. We don't, we, don't have time, we don't have time to get into it. But the point is, the point is not who has the right answers. Because I think most of us, there's probably someone here that like, ah, I don't know, I, I'm just guessing, and that's fine, you know. Um, but, but others that maybe have spent some time in this word be like, no, I, I think I'm right. If I thought I was wrong, I would change it, right? So I think I'm right, but maybe I'm not, right? So the point is not who, is, who has the right answers. The point is that, that most of us think we have the right answers, and, and maybe more importantly, we can make the Bible say different things. So if, if, if one says it's a cultural thing, I don't really have to do it, and another says, no, it's a universal thing, you sure do have to do it, and another says, no, it's figurative. That's, we're, not, we're not taking that literal. Um, then it's like, those are three different applications. So who, how do we know? Um, there, there's a lot that happens when we sit down and read the Bible that I, don't, I think we're not conscious of. I think we just sit down and read it, and we're thinking about homework, or we're thinking about grocery lists, or we're thinking about the, our relationship that's not doing well, or we're thinking about our dog that's dying, or whatever it is. And then we read, sorry. Um, and then we read, you know, the scriptures and we just kind of like we're just reading words on a page just just words on a page but but there's so but we at some at the same time know there's a lot of weight that comes with this word so what's going on there well i want to walk through just four things that oh no yep we're gonna get to that so i want to walk through four different things i think i put the picture in the wrong place um We'll go ahead and show it. Go ahead and show it. Okay, look at this picture. So the Bible is written, like I said, anywhere from 3,500 years ago to 2,000 years ago, right? So this is 
This is Philadelphia in 1970, sorry, 1776. 1776, 240 something years ago, 247 years ago. 1776, Philadelphia. So if you were to transport right now, wearing what you're wearing, transport back to that moment there, downtown Philadelphia in 1776, would you feel out of place? But it's on the same continent, speaking the same language, and yet you know you would be different. And, and, and their way of thinking and living is different than your way of thinking and living. And yet it's the same continent 246 years ago. Now, think about what life is like 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, in a different culture, different time, different um, ethnicity, um, different economic systems, different everything. You're, you and I can't compute. We can, we can kind of see this. We can't, our brains just short circuit when we try to picture ourselves 2,000 years ago, okay? Now think 3,500 years ago in the ancient Near East. Moses' day. Yeah, no clue. <laughs> no clue how even to think about what, what, how I could fit into there. Have no clue what that looks like. So, so you and I bring to the text, this is kind of the first key idea, is you and I, you and I bring to the, the Bible what we're reading with this thing called presuppositions or pre-understandings. And they, they influence the way we think. They influence us more than we, more than we realize. So, I'm going to give you a list of a bunch of things. You can write them down if you want. Things like language, okay? The Bible is written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And I would assume none of us in here speak that as our native tongue or even have learned it fluently to speak it. Um, so, we're already at a disadvantage when we read this thing because this has been translated into English for us. So we are relying on interpreters to translate this book for us. So we're, at, we're kind of at a disadvantage already, instantly, right? And so with, with language is how you communicate ideas. So different languages communicate ideas in different ways. So in that sense, this is what we bring, a, a different language with different ideas. Social conditioning, if we grew up in, a, in, in an economic, you know, different eth economic uh, spectrums, right? poorer or richer or whatever. Gender can affect the way you uh, read and interpret things. Um, your education, your cultural values, um, how you view money, success, uh, morals can influence the way you read. Uh, physical environment, if you're from the big city, if you're from a, 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 a country town, if you're from the suburbs, can influence the way you think and the way you interpret and read things. Political allegiance, so your worldview, uh, how you view social issues, are you conservative, liberal? These things um, can influence the way you think and, and interpret things. Your emotional state, are you sad? Are you guilty? Are you excited? Um, that can sometimes play into how you read things, right? It certainly plays into how you read texts when somebody sends you a text, right? If they don't, if they don't put 1,600 emojis to, to explain how they're feeling and they just use words, it's like, well, you can read all kinds of things into that, right? Heaven forbid I use a period. 
and everybody gets really upset. Um, anyway, punctuation apparently is a terrible thing. Um, so, so like when you when you think about these things that we bring to the text when we sit down to read, it's no wonder that we can come up with different ideas of what this thing means. So we need something to, to kind of give us a, a level ground to start from. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Tonight, basically what I'm doing, I'm just introducing this whole, the, the whole process uh, that, that we're going to talk through this summer. And I'm really kind of flying over these major ideas. So, but I want, you, I want you to kind of see that we all bring to the text all that we are, experiences, culture, prior, prior understandings of words and ideas. And sometimes they lead us astray and or cause us to read foreign ideas into, this, into the text. Ideas that were not, not intended. So, um, here's a big question we've got to wrestle with. And we don't have to, we could talk, I think we could talk the whole hour about this idea. Where does meaning come from? Who determines the meaning of something? We'll just, we'll say a written word. Somebody writes something, who gets to determine the meaning? Is it the author? Is it the, is it the text? Or is it the reader? You guys are cheating. Sorry, it's my, it's my fault. Um, so what we're, what we're going to talk about is what we believe is that the author gets to determine the meaning, not the reader. The author determines the meaning. The, the text is just the medium by which the, the author is communicating ideas. So the, the, the text is neutral. It just is what it is. Um, and then the reader gets to respond to the author's meaning. And so that's the process that we're going to describe. But that's a big deal. It's a really big deal. In fact, um, I think it's becoming more and more a big deal in, in today, when, especially with social media, because there is so much um, room for us to interpret things the way we want. We can read into things. We can ascribe meaning to things that were never intended that. And so, this is a big deal. So we have to learn, we have to relearn maybe, that when it comes to the Bible, we're not coming to it to tell it what it says or to determine what it says, but we're coming to it to submit to what we believe God is saying, what we, what we believe um, the author is intending. So we want to use this idea of author's intended meaning. We want, we want to know what, what did the author intend to say to the audience in which they were writing. Because that, that's, where, that's ground zero. That's where we got to start. If we read the Bible and then jump to what does this mean to me, we skip a whole process and then we can get, we can get off pretty quickly. So, we believe the Bible is trustworthy. We're not going to, in this series, we're not going to spend time describing why we believe the Bible is trustworthy, why we believe the Bible is authoritative, why we believe uh, that we can, how we got this book. We're not going to spend the series talking about those things. Those are maybe, actually, I think there's a podcast from last summer that talks through some of that. But we're, we're, we're believing the Bible is trustworthy and therefore has authority. And so I love these words of John Stott. He says this, We must allow the Word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, 
and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. That is a lot. And so that's the perspective of which we are kind of coming at this study to teach, is we are going to submit to what we believe this is saying. So we're going to let the Bible, uh, the author, provide the meaning. The next, next idea is that hermeneutics is the theory of and methodology of interpretation. So that's, that's basically what this is, is just an introduction to hermeneutics over the summer. And with hermeneutics, what we're, the, the, the method of which we're using is called the historical grammatical method. Okay, that's the, that's the, those are the blanks. It's basically looking at both historical and literary context to, to determine what the meaning is, to understand what's going on. Um, there's a phrase that we use in, when it comes to this idea that context is king. Right? Context is what determines what's going on. So literary context and historical context. We'll, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, another, another phrase or term is inductive method, which is an investigative way of studying the Bible, where it lets the authors tell you what they meant, lets the facts influence our ideas, it lets, it lets the truth that's already there um, be discovered. Another term um, that you might have heard is called exegesis, which is this idea of drawing, the idea, the term means literally to draw out meaning. So we're, we're, we're drawing out what we believe is the text versus the opposite, which is eisegesis, which is, which is um, putting meaning in, reading meaning into the text. So, so those are a couple other terms that might be helpful. This last one is, is another, I think, big idea to kind of wrap our minds around. And it's that the Bible is two things. The Bible is two things which I believe makes it twice as difficult to understand. The first thing, which I'll, I'll say in a second, the first thing requires knowledge, skill, and practice to figure out. Okay? And that's the majority of what we're talking about this summer. We're going to try to give some of that knowledge and skill and practice this summer. The second thing requires a relationship with God and can't be controlled or manipulated. Okay, so here are the, here are the two things. The Bible is both a historical book, meaning it's human, and a spiritual book. There's so many other words I could use for spiritual, but that one, you get the point. It's, or it's divine. It is historical and spiritual. So, what do I mean by historical? Meaning, interpreting ancient literature, which is what this is, okay? Interpreting ancient literature requires knowledge, skill, and practice. But this book is also spiritual, and so discerning God's speaking through His Word requires a relationship with God. It... Um, it, so it is both historical in that you need to understand it. There's some things going on that can help you understand it. But it also will help you hear God speak, hear God speak to you through his word. And I, we believe this happens. We believe that there's a relationship that God can speak through his living word to you. And the more you know, the more you trust, the more you obey God in this process, the more you'll be able to discern His voice. And I believe that. Like I said, I've experienced it. So we're going to take a break. Take a, just a couple minutes to the people next to you. Answer this question. 
How have you been frustrated or have you been frustrated ever reading and in trying to interpret the Bible? And if so, how? Talk about that for a couple minutes and then I'll, we'll come back. Okay, go ahead and come back. Come back to me. Come back to me. I remember, I remember being frustrated at reading the Bible. I remember thinking, how do I, I just have to just believe the people standing on stage at church. I guess they know, I don't know. I have no idea. And I remember that feeling, because I really wanted to know, but I did not understand, like, did I have to go to get a degree in this? Did I have to, I mean, what happened? And so for me, this class was a class I took at Bible College called Principles of Interpretation. It was my, by far my favorite class. And it, it, this is the class that gave me the tools that I needed to sit down with this thing and, and like figure this out. Like th there is a process in which we're going to talk about. So I'm going to give basically an overview of this process and then um, we'll spend a little more time talking about application today because we're not going to really deal with that a whole lot the rest of the series. But here's the steps that we are talking through in interpretation. It, it can be this simple. This is not simple. It's, it's difficult, but simple. I don't know. It's something. It's observation. Okay, observation. What does it say? Um, there is an art to asking the right questions. There is an art to asking the right questions. Who, what, when, where, why. Um, so learning when and how to ask those questions to, in a text can be very important. So the observation stage is one that oftentimes, whenever you sit down, if you're trying to study something or understand a text in the Bible, um, we skip this one pretty quickly because sometimes we think we've read it before or we, we don't look at it with fresh eyes. We don't ask the right questions. And so if we don't ask the right questions, guess what? We're going to have the wrong conclusions. So observation is a big, is a big part of it. We're going to spend all of next week talking through that and practicing observation. Okay? All of us, the pastors that teach, we all go through this. If we're sitting down to teach a text, you guys went through, what did you teach through this past year at the table? You didn't, <laughs> you jumped around. So First Peter and all these others, right? So, but I would almost imagine there was, a, there was like a main text with each night at the table, if you were there. And what all of them did was they, they printed it off. They read it over and over and over, and they circled things, and they underlined things, and they asked questions, and they figured out, okay, they, they approached it with fresh eyes to be able to, to, be able to understand. Because you can't know what's, what it means until you know what it says, right? You can't know what it means until you know what it says. So you got to really kind of, there's a process, and we'll teach that next week. So observation is the first step. Interpretation is obviously a big step. What does it mean? The first one is literary context. Literary context is going to be week three. We'll spend a whole week on how to look at literary context. But basically what that is, is the sentences before and after, sentences, paragraphs, discourses, before and after um, the text that you are studying. Okay, so if you're studying John 3.16, then it would be important to kind of understand the verses before it and the verses after it in order to understand the, the flow of thought. Right? Um, verses are not independent units of thought. Verses were not there when it was written, by the way. They were added 1,500 years later? King James? Or no? I don't even know. We edit this out in the video. 
Um, so the answer is 1,200 years, um, whatever Jew says. Anyway, so 1,000 plus years ago, numbers were added to make this simpler for us so we can go back and find things. But it wasn't, right? So the verses, the, the numbers can throw us off. And, and you guys have headings in your Bible that weren't in the original. And all these things, it's broken up in different ways. So, verses are not independent units of thought. The, the, the biblical passages um, express a writer's train of thought. There is, there is a movement. There is a purpose in which he's writing, the, the person, the author's writing. And so unless you know the, the flow, then you can take things out of context, right? So literary context is big. That's week three. Week four is historical context. It's the culture, customs, language, beliefs, and circumstances of the author and the audience. So what's going on when the author writes? Who are they writing to? You know, what are they dealing with? And we'll talk through that. Biblical passages reflect a way of life. Okay? The Bible comes to us secondhand. It, it, it's not written to us. So Matthew writes the Gospel of Matthew to a, a a predominantly Jewish audience to point out Jesus as the coming Messiah, right? Matthew did not write to us in the 21st century. He did not know we would be reading his mail. <laughs> but God had a greater plan for it. But, but, when, but Matthew, when Matthew wrote it, he wrote it to them. So we need to know why Matthew wrote what he wrote and who he was writing to and why, and why he wrote what he wrote to them. Um. That's historical context. Oh, our job is to reconstruct the original, um, the original audience. Our job is to kind of learn through different things, you know, how they handled certain things, how they understood, their, their, how they lived in certain ways, right, in order to understand what's going on then. So historical context, week, week four. And then week five through eight is genre. So... For the, the second half of this study, we're going to spend time in, I can't remember them all, but uh, epistle, narrative, um, prophecy, um, I think wisdom literature, maybe those might be the four, Pro- prophecy and revelation and then re- wisdom literature. I'm not sure what the order is, but a, a genre is, is a class or a category of literature based on similar content, style, or forms, right? So it's each, in each genre of literature, this is a... This is an interesting idea. Has its own rules of interpretation. And you know this. You know this intuitively because when you read poetry, you read poetry differently than you read a letter from your parents or different than you read a, um, a fictional story or different than you read a, a grocery list. Or, right? So like you, 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 don't, you would not apply the same rules to every sport. That'd be chaos. Right? Some call it hockey. I don't know. Um, there's no, I don't know if there's hockey fans or not. I'm not a hockey fan, so I apologize if you are. But, but like, if you, apply, if, you take the, if you take the rules of one sport and then you apply it to all, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be madness. But, but sometimes when we, when we read the Bible, we pick up Psalms and we read it the same as we do a letter like Thessalonians. And it's, and it's not the same. And wisdom literature has its own style and purpose. Uh, in a couple weeks, I get to teach, basically give kind of an overview or teach the main principle of Ecclesiastes. And it's a unique book. It's unlike any other book. And so 
it has it, you kind of have to approach it with a, a, an understanding of the genre in order to get the, the meaning so we're going to talk about genre for quite a bit um, throughout the rest of the of the week and then the last one is is application so observation interpretation application um, a simple way of thinking about it and again the goal we got to start we got to start with the right goal in mind in order to head in the right direction and the goal again is to know God to, to connect with him to have a, a relationship with him and so why apply scripture oh my gosh I got two minutes um, shoot all right um, typical me I'm going over sorry um, gosh we got to pick one all right let's just look up James everybody turn to James 1 23 and 24 you can read the other ones later I can I can, I can quote some of them Psalms 19 one, we're also going to look up, but it's, you don't have time. Um, it's great. John, the John 14, 15 is Jesus saying, um, if you love me, you will obey me. Okay, there's that one. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 is, all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training um, to build up and to equip us, essentially, paraphrase. And then the Hebrews 4 is that, the, the Bible is sharper, is, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and, 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 and the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So Scripture has this ability to discern, to help cut through things and help us um, grow closer to God. So, but J- James 1, 23 through 24, somebody read that loudly, please. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Okay, we are, purpose of that verse, verse obvious, we are, we are called not to just read these words and know these words, but we're called to apply this, to live this out. It'd be like looking in a mirror, seeing a booger on your nose, and be like, oh well, and just walking away. No. Clean it off, please, because we have to stare at you. Um, so, yeah, so, like, that's the point. Is like the Bible is going to show things to you that you probably should do something about. And, and, and it's God's wisdom teaching you. So there's a process and application I want to walk through real quick. Process, the process involves meaning, implications, and significance. Okay, the, the, the first blank is implications. Implications are anytime the text infers ideas that maybe the text may or may not have been, the author may, may or may not have been aware of, right? That, that fall under the meaning of the text. So like you have the author's intended meaning, okay, Matthew's writing to the first century, but then there's implications that the author may not have been aware of that fit in to what the author is, is speaking to. Um, and man, we don't have time to look them all up, but they're, they're very good. Um, so it, it, the idea is there's an author's has a willed principle, or there's a pattern of meaning, or um, it, like I said, it, it could lie outside of their, their experience. Implications are determined by looking for the principle in the text or the shared expectation of the original audience. So if you got this thing, this is kind of another way to describe the, the process of interpretation that we do when we study and when we interpret the Bible. And this, this idea of the timeless principle 
is kind of the idea of implication. Like, what are the different implications that, that could apply to anyone? Um, so you're looking for this principle that, that may be in the text. So when, uh, in, I think in Ephesians 5, I think it says, do not get drunk with wine, right? Um, that could mean cocaine. That could mean liquor. That could mean a lot of things, right? So there's, there's a debauchery is the term that's used because that leads to debauchery, right? So, so he's not just saying, okay, wine's off, but everybody, else, you can get drunk on anything else. No, I think Paul didn't name it, but I think he includes it, right? There's an implication there. Um, so let me look up 2 Timothy 2.3, or 2.23. Second Timothy two twenty three, and read it. Okay, so Paul Paul's writing to Timothy, saying, "Hey, avoid foolish controversies. Avoid arguing over foolish controversies." Now, I've gotten into a lot of foolish debates that led nowhere helpful, and so I've experienced what he's saying, but but. So Paul's talking to Timothy about starting this church that he's in, but, but what, what, are the, what are some implications that he could be referring to that Paul may not have been aware of? How could we get caught up in the same thing today? Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> I think Twitter is designed for this, actually. I don't know. So social media would be a big one, right? We'll just stop there. Okay, social media. Paul didn't know anything about it. Absolutely an opportunity for us to get into foolish debates um, and useless arguments, right? That's an implication. Psalm 145.4, you can look up later. I had a story. We don't have time. Um, <laughs> significance is the, is the next one. So you have meaning, the text, and the author determine that. The author determines the meaning. The implications... The author kind of sets a trajectory, sets a sets a, a pattern for us to go. Yeah, I think he is including this. The, you know, the, they're including this, but significance is where it gets different. This is where we go. Okay, what does this mean to me? How is this hitting me right now? Um, the specific and u- unique way, unique ways the reader believes that they should respond to the meaning and the implications of the text, and it can be different for different people. So the significance of a text can change over time due to a life stage or circumstances. God can use it to teach. He can use the same verse to teach, to challenge, to encourage, to rebuke, to convict. And it, again, it depends on what he feels you need. Again, based on his relationship with you. So let's, let's look up John 30, or sorry, John 3.30. Next week, I'll be back teaching uh, observation, and we're, we're going to look up a lot of Scripture, and we're going to practice this quite a bit. But John 3.30. Where is John? Oh, there it is. Here's, a, here's what CSB says. Very simple. He must increase, but I must decrease. Anyone know who's, who's saying that? John the Baptist is saying that. So that's, that's an interesting idea, right? So, so what, what, if we were studying this, we would want to study the, the, the context before and after. We want to know what's happening uh, during that time. And then, and then at some point, we might go, wow, that verse is kind of hitting me. 
So what are some different ways that could be significant to, to us individually? The idea of humility, as we're humble, it brings glory to God. Yes. In a sense that levels the scales to where it's like this. Because this is a level scale because God is here and we are here. So that makes sense. Yes. So humility. And humility can, can be like, okay, wow, I had, that, I had that thing that happened at work today and I totally was a, just a jerk. I need to humble myself because it's not about me. It's about him. I, I made myself too high, too big, and, it, and I really need to come down. I need to humble myself, and I need to start pointing people to him, right? That's, that's a significant way like, where, where God interacts with your life and speaks to things that are going on right here and now and says, yeah, yeah, you need to humble yourself. You need to go apologize for what you said, or you need to get whatever, right? Uh, Luke 9:23. Then he said to them all, Balaam wants to follow after me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Yeah, this is another big one. Deny himself daily, take up his cross. Right. So we, we would we would walk through this process. We would try to understand what Luke is saying to his audience, looking at the context. We try to see. Okay, yeah, I think you know. Here's some general principles. Here's some so basically what he's saying is we need to deny ourselves and and be willing to live a life a sacrificial life for him you know Jesus we're following Jesus he went to the cross what makes us think we aren't going to have to sacrifice things too but then specifically what could that mean for different people yeah for for Jesus's disciples it 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 literally meant them dying like Peter was died on a cross upside down, right? So for, for them, it was like, it was a literal, they're going to die. And all the disciples, with the exception of John, who died in, on prison, in prison, but the rest of them were martyred from what we know and believe. Right? For them, it, it was something real. Um, maybe for some of you who feel called to the mission field, that might be a real thing, to sacrifice your life for the, for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom. And for others, that might mean something different. That might mean for my friend Genevieve that right now when her arm is broken and she's having people come in and poke her and prod her all day long to make sure she's okay, that, that for her it's, it's, it's going, okay, God, I'm dying to self. I don't want to be here. But, but in, while I'm here, I'm gonna rep- I represent you. And I'm going to be gracious to the people, to the nurses that come in. I'm going to speak kindly to them. I'm going to be gentle to them. And I'm going to listen to what they say. Because for her, there's something bigger going on than just trying to get better because her arm is broke. She's, she's committed her life to the Lord. Her Lord has sacrificed His life for her. And so she's living a, a sacrificial life in the process. right? So there can be some... This is, this is why... The goal is not just to gain information, but there's a transformation process that happens when we live our life um, submitting to the Word of God and letting Him speak to us. A couple things I want to say before I close and give you guys time to discuss. Yep. 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 Right. 
this verse might kind of mean something different to you depending on your context. Can you clarify? Clarify, yeah. Yeah. I sh what I should say is this verse can be significant in different ways. Um, I was interchanging that word significant and meaning. Um, so if, if I'm, yeah, if I'm, if I'm sitting down reading it and I've done the work to kind of understand what's going on in this text so that I'm not taking it out of context, then, then there's a, there's a spirit led process. There's a process in which God, I believe is in control of that where he speaks directly and he can, can lead me in ways and there's a process that's taking place. So, so like in that sense, it, when God interacts, in, interjects himself into our day to day, we're, we're, um, we're being led by him. So when I read this word, I'm not just reading it to understand what, some, what somebody wrote 2000 years ago. I'm reading it to, to, to know God and to be changed by Him. And that happens, that happens as I submit myself to the Word. And I, and I can't, well, I will say, I can't sit down and go, okay, God, tell me what you want me to do. Sometimes, sometimes I read the Word and I, got, I just read it and I got nothing. And I just assume, all right, Lord, you're going to use that somehow, some way. And other times, things hit me out of the blue. I'm like, all right, why is that significant right now? And so I have to kind of figure that out and discern that and wrestle with that. But yeah, it, 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 means, it means something. The author determines a meaning. But when it comes to how God uses it in our life, it can become significant in different ways. Thanks for, yeah, let me clarify that. So a couple things. When it comes to studying God's Word, it's about training and not trying. Um, like I said, you're not coming to this to uh, study for a test or to pass a class. You're coming to this to, to know your Creator. And so it's about building habits. It's about um, sitting down and, letting, and, and reading this thing and giving, giving room in your life for God to speak and listening for Him. So building habit, um, not studying for a test. And then lastly, knowing God and, and, and experiencing life change, I think, can take place as you submit to God by obeying his conviction, not your convenience. And, and I found personally that when I am looking for convenient, inspiring truths, <laughs> that, I, that I have some, some kind of an agenda, that I really have to do what John, Scott's, John Stott said, which is submit myself. He may want to speak to my, my convenience. He may want to speak to my comforts. He may want to challenge some things that I have going on in my life and I need to be available to him. So listen for God's conviction and not, not seek convenience. Uh, Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will, so that you may discern what the good, pleasing and perfect will of God is. So we'll end there. Sorry, I went over. Let me give you just a couple minutes to discuss and then Drew will come up and close us out. Um, I think the question should be on a screen. Yeah, a couple questions for you to discuss. How could the principles to taught today help you in this process of reading and studying the Bible? You can answer that one. Or what is the main idea you need to take you need to be reminded of when you sit down to read the Bible? Ready? Go. Um, 